0: Well, good morning, Bible love listeners. So glad to have you with us. This will be um, in your ears on Maundy Thursday. We are in Holy Week, a very sacred week for many, many. And we thought we would start this day with the collect and prayer for Maundy Thursday. The Lord be with you.
1: And also with you.
0: Almighty Father, whose dear Son, on the night before he suffered, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, mercifully grant that we may receive it thankfully in remembrance of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who in these holy mysteries gave us a pledge of eternal life, and who now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. So we are moving into 1st and 2nd Kings, and so um, this is the first time we've done a set of books. You know, We had 1st and 2nd Samuel, which is a collection, and we took each one of those individually. But these books, again, like Samuel, they were originally one book. It was actually all kind of original four books together, and then it got pieced out. and so as we do, each time we start a new book, we've brought in an expert. Today we have the expert of experts, not to make them blush. Now, Furman Buchanan, he's been on before. Furman is rector of St. Peter's Episcopal in Greenville, South Carolina. He's been a dear friend of mine in my time in South Carolina. I love being up there with him and his folks. And he is an author. He's written some books. He writes beautiful prayers. Just the way he thinks. Uh, I'm just trying to build you up, Furman. I think you That's need a, encouragement it. on this Holy Week. Right? You're setting
1: yes. them up for disappointment. Right, yeah, no,
2: no. <laughs> Folks know you and love you. And thank you for being with us today to help walk us through these two books of the Bible. It, it is great to be with you. Thank you for the
1: invitation to come back to Bible Love. Yeah.
0: Oh, you're always invited, Furman. <laughs> we, we learn a lot from you. So, um, when we've been kind of scheduling this a little bit, we were like, let's talk about first and second kings. Everybody's been like, ooh, I don't know about that. But Furman was like, I am up for the challenge. <laughs> so talk to us about, you kind of gave us a little bit big at the beginning, but talk to us a little bit, a little bit about some of the things you think are some of the most important 10,000 view, as you said, an overarching view of, um, first and second Kings.
1: Good. Well, thank you, Mary Balfour. I think, um, so I went to look at some of my, uh, sources and, uh, from my library, uh, and, um, the thing that, um, that comes, that comes through some of that material is that this was probably written slash compiled, um, by uh, uh, someone who subscribed to the Deuteronomic view, right? That uh, if we think back now to the book of Deuteronomy, which is filled with law and speeches about um, about the covenant with God, then a person who is particularly rooted in that viewpoint, their lens for seeing history is uh, pertains to the covenant between God and the people of Israel. Right. And so uh, what we see in first and second Kings is the story as it unfolds, what picks up as David is, is uh, um, aging out and then Solomon, the building of the temple, which of course is central uh, in terms of worship um, for honoring the covenant with God. And then, we see the division into two kingdoms, right? Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And so we get to see the picture of what happens in the north. Well, by 722, they have been conquered by the Assyrians. And then the shift, sort of attention shifts to the south, to the kingdom of Judah. And they managed to hang in there for a little longer, ultimately falling to the Babylonians and what, 587, 586? So then I want to just take us just a two steps beyond that. And this person is, uh, or this group of people, let's say maybe, are sitting down to try to make sense out of what has happened. And if in your mind and in your heart, um, the covenant was an everlasting covenant with God, it, it could not be broken. It could not unravel. Then you're compelled to ask yourself, how could we have ended up in exile? Mm. How, how, how did the, it, It's our classic question about the problem of evil. If God is all-powerful, was, was God too weak to manage the Assyrians and, and uh, the Babylonians? Anything? OK, okay, no, God was not too weak. Well, if God was all good, then why this malevolence toward God's people to let such bad things happen is you're on the hook one way or the other. Either God seems not strong enough or not good enough to keep the people in the promised land, right? And so there's a third option. And the third option is, well, it was the people and the rulers of the people who abrogated the covenant. And therefore, the consequences were exile.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So Furman, this brings up a couple of questions for me, if, if, if you don't mind. Um, so we, and just to help the listeners and to help myself, we've been in this time of David, right? So this 40 plus years of, even though there was problems, it, there was like this one leader, this one King, Right. Right, who was not perfect, but there was the stability, is what I'm trying to say, and and all of that. And then, when we move into Kings, first Kings specifically, he dies, and you know, they're trying to sort of set up something else. And these other kings, who I, I know you're going to talk about, who fail often and don't live into the covenant that David and God had put together. But I do, I was telling Alan and Furman before we started recording, like I was doing a confirmation class last night on the Bible and you're talking about this. And there is so much like, why, 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 why? And I really appreciate kind of what you're saying and flesh it out a little bit more for us of why these bad things keep happening, you know, and what, and you're like, you said, you're on the hook of either way. Right. Like you could look at it in two different things. I think that's super important for people who are listening, who, like all of us, want to get our think it's God. God can do anything. Why do these bad things keep happening?
1: So, right. now, OK, so um, we, we were saying just before we hit the record button, I, I, one of my thoughts this morning was that first and second Kings give us a macro historical look at the problem of why bad things happen. In, in similar ways that the book of Job does for an individual person's right. life. And when things, when things fall apart, the, the possible difference here is that, that Job was an absolutely righteous guy mm-hmm. and most of these kings were not. <laughs> right. Were, uh, Good point. Quite, quite far of the mark. And, and so let's go back to the covenant and, and, and talk about that again. So the covenant is not an equal partnership right the covenant is a is a partnership between a stronger party i.e. god and uh and the weaker party right the the children of god and so in a covenant arrangement the stronger party provides protection security support etc the young, the weaker party their role is to provide loyalty mm. One of the central ways that loyalty gets expressed is through worship, right? And so, for example, in First Kings, when we have uh, um, Ahab and Jezebel and the people are following this uh, Phoenician god Baal, right, they are being disloyal. To Yahweh, and so it's a it's a consequential relationship. You did this, and therefore this, right? Meanwhile, we get the picture of the prophet, and you know Elijah. I mean, it's like down to him that the, the the prophets of Israel have been slaughtered. He's like the last man standing, and we get that really comical an overly dramatic story about the competition you know between is can can Baal uh perform a miracle or is is Yahweh going to do it and and so the prophet uh Elijah has a particular role to highlight the disloyalty the, the fact that the children of Israel broke the covenant right mm-hmm. um and so he's, he's a truth teller He's just naming what is.
0: Well, I really love the way you, your perspective on that. Like, God, we are the weaker. God is the stronger. And as weaker people, that breaks. Those covenants break. We're humans. That Those things happened, right? And not so much that God has made this happen. It's we, the weaker. Am I hearing that correctly? Am I making that? So,
1: the, yeah. So I think the, the the writer or writers are trying to convey that, This, These bad things that happened were uh, the result of a punishment, Mm -hmm. Um, that God did not instigate those bad things, right, Um, because God was malevolent or too weak to fend off the Assyrians or the Babylonians. God did it because the children of Israel cheated first on the covenant. Got right. So it.
0: that's helpful, I think, for people to understand, because we want to blame. Right. We want to blame well, God. That's what we well, want to
1: do. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I think that's fair. And and I would say, you know, I I mean, I'm going to in my own mind still struggle with the idea of punishment. You know, what about the idea of long-suffering, abounding in mercy to the thousandth generation, you know, et cetera? Some of that stuff from Deuteronomy that makes you feel like nothing can ever go wrong here. We've got such a great senior partner in this relationship. Uh Bad things are not going to happen. Um, But they do. And so when those bad things happen, then the writer is compelled to to come up with some explanation for that. Uh, And for a Deuteronomistic, if I'm saying that right, uh, writer, for somebody of that viewpoint, it's all about the covenant, always, all about the covenant. And, um, And there would be no way that a writer of that persuasion would say, well, I guess God got tired of the covenant, you know, no, it's that the people violated the covenant and they got, they, um, that they got what they, they, they reaped what they sowed, right? Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. were disloyal and so they ended up in circumstances, um, that
2: should not surprise anyone. Right. Um, yeah, it makes me, so I'm listening every Holy Week, I listen to NT Rites book the day the revolution began and in the intro like he's reimagining what the cross means and trying to reclaim it from bad um soteriology but he's talking about the hebrew scriptures and he says and we've talked about this on the podcast it's not like a day-by-day accounting this isn't like a collection of newspaper articles that tell the story as it happened like you're alluding to firm and this is people after the fact right trying to read God's story into what happened. It's not like they're saying this happened and it's because we got punished. This happened they' They all know what happened, but then we've got the, the um, author who's trying to grapple with, and you know, back then they probably didn't have really good explanations for man-made crises, right? Like, And so, obviously, if there's storms, that's God's punishment because we don't know meteorology or whatever it is. Right, right, right. And so this, to me, is another highlight of this is an ancient people wrestling with the fact that we're unfaithful and then bad things happen because we don't hold up our end of the bargain. Maybe they talk about God's punishment, which we struggle with today. But back then, that would have been natural because that's the worldview is the gods are angry.
1: Uh absolutely and um and it's normal and it makes sense to try to look back in time and search for meaning among a series of historical events i mean here's the thing jesus just pushed back on this what a couple of weeks ago in our lectionary Mm -hmm. yeah right Mm -hmm. the the tower of siloam fell and then some Mm -hmm. bad things happened to some galileans because they were just trying to worship god and then you know Pilate wipes and whatnot, Pilate, whoever it was, you know, killed them and mingled their blood with the sacrifices, all that stuff. And so the people, everybody gathered around Jesus, wants to believe that it was God punishing those people for something. We don't know what it was, but God bless, they must have done something really bad, right? And 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 Jesus pushes back on that. Um I, I think it's one of the most powerful uh contrarian views expressed in In uh, in his teaching to what the conventional wisdom was. Um, And so he wants to to try to sever some sort of clean, simple line uh, between uh, cause and uh, punishment, Um, uh, bad behavior and and punishment. He's he's going to muddy it up a little bit um, and and challenge us more deeply
2: um, where nobody gets off the hook. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you know, Dr. Tony said um, his first time with us, you know, we get to read the Hebrew scriptures on the other side of the cross. Right. And so we read these things that are hard. We read about God's punishment, God's wrath, these things that get a bad rap. Jesus is pretty clear. People, y'all are getting it wrong. Like this isn't who sinned that this man might be born blind. Jesus is like, nobody did. Right. God's power will be shown through this situation. The situation sucks. God's power will be shown through it, but it's not someone's fault. Right. right. And so we when we come to these hard parts that make us question, is God all good and all powerful and all loving? We get to the Gospels and Jesus is like, yeah, that's all true. Right. You know,
1: in fact, I stumbled across in, in sort of doing a quick scan of Second Kings. There, there's a part in Second Kings chapter 24. Where I believe it's describing some bad things that have happened to the children of Manasseh, maybe. I don't remember. I think that's right, but it, I, I could be off a little bit. And yet in my Bible, I had made a little star out in the margin and said, but hey, see also second Kings chapter 14, verse six, where it's explicit that the children are not punished for the deeds mm-hmm. of the parents, mm-hmm. right? Or the parents are not punished for the deeds of the children to try to interrupt this you know, simple, clean, straight line thinking, oh, if this, then that. And um, so even the Hebrew scriptures will push back against that in places. And I just have to wonder, you know, is the writer or the writers, are, are they having some debate about how far to push this punishment explanation for the bad things that are happening, right? That will, even for us, gosh, there are limits to how far, we we wanna argue that point uh and, and try to push that along. But um yeah.
0: Well, Furman, you mentioned before we started recording while we're on the subject of Jesus, um, that Jesus specifically refers to a couple of verses In second kings, right? Or first king, what one of the two books of kings, maybe one and both. Um, will you, will you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I think it is important where Jesus does connect back to the Hebrew scripture. And we often kind of forget that that's part of our lineage too, right? I mean, it's not just Jesus. It's all of us
1: it cannot be separated we do violence to to um our, our the basic core of our faith if we try to remove jesus right. from judaism right? right um and so uh i've always particularly like luke chapter 4 i think that's i think i've got that right where where jesus shows up in his hometown synagogue you know this mm-hmm. whole thing about no no prophet is accepted in his hometown well there you go exhibit a um, mm-hmm. so he, he, he reads, you know, things are fair enough when he reads from the prophet, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, everybody has managed to to digest that. Okay. But then Jesus stands up to give commentary on what he just read. And he calls out his hometown friends and neighbors. And he says, look, when the heavens were, uh, stuffed up and, uh, uh there was a drought, um, God did not come to uh he doesn't say nazareth but god god didn't come and solve the problem here rather god sent the prophet elijah to zarephath in sidon to the gentile and um and provided relief there and so that's from uh first kings chapter 17 and but then there's more jesus says (laughs) when uh when uh, the 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 lepers were were falling out and and uh sick and dying all over uh, all over Israel um god didn't come solve their problems instead he sent elisha uh to heal naaman the commander of the syrian army that gentile uh you could almost put in parentheses that worthless gentile um of of leprosy, right? And so that's Second Kings chapter five ish, somewhere <clears> in <throat> internet. And so Jesus uses the the writings of First and Second Kings as a provocation with his closest friends and neighbors to say, "Don't just assume that you've got it all made; um, that God's care and concern." is far more expansive than you'll ever dream or imagine. Um, And uh, so I I love how Jesus uses these stories from the books we're talking about to really try to stretch his own hometown people in in their theology.
0: I think that's super important. Okay. I want to make sure we get to everything that we talked about beforehand. So, Got a few minutes left. What what else is it that you think we need to know about First and Second Kings?
1: Gosh, um, well, idolatry is huge, I, I, and maybe I've kind of already touched on that. And idolatry gets defined in various different different ways, um, uh, pertaining to the idea of uh, everything from Jerusalem is the one ideal place for worship to happen to all sorts of other, you know, chasing after false gods. Um, I think, I guess I would say in terms of, uh, you know, the Bible Love podcast and thinking about viewers, is that we need to be a little more grown up in our thinking about idolatry than Mm -hmm. just assuming that, it's not talking to me because I would never be tempted to craft a golden calf and put it on the altar of St. Peter's. So right. that was another person's problem at another person's time. No, idolatry is, uh, um, it is very contextual, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what is it that I am tempted to value more than my relationship with God and Christ? Well, there's mm. your idol. What? whatever that might be.
0: I think that's such a good thing, especially during Lent, you know, where people are like taking on things or giving up things. And, you know, I always tease people are like, Oh, I'm giving up chocolate. You know, I'm like, well, good for you, but you're just going to take that back up again. Right. Is that growth helping you in your relationship with God? Right. And I think that idolatry is so It happens to us all today. It just doesn't look the same as a calf, right? Um, And there's no one alive that doesn't experience that in some way, shape, or form. The other thing that was interesting to me about First and Second Kings, and we talked about this a little bit, is so you have David all this time, and then you get these other kings. And it's like they're put to a test, and they all fail like only eight of the, however many of them there was, 40, is that right? Like passed the test and they all fail at idolatry. They all fail at not keeping the covenant, all of them, you know, and that's just sort of interesting to me that this test was happened and, and they all, they all failed. It didn't work.
1: Right. Yeah. I, you know, and I think there's some built built into the uh, scripture, some presumption that the whole King idea was, was, was just not a great idea in the first place, right yeah. so there 's some critique i mean, I think there's some may- maybe governmental critique in that as well but um but the other thing I mean, we just look at it you know think about and, and again I, I want to try to resist the temptation of just making a cartoon out of uh, you know presidents or or the speakers of the house or the president of the Senate you, you know s- sort of celebrity uh leadership mm-hmm. but as we gain power in whatever context we we live in, um, the the temptations are amplified. I mean, we, we know that part of the part of our governmental structure and the Constitution is try to um, provide checks and balances because when there are no checks and balances, people tend to get out of hand,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and and, um, and you know and and so yeah, yeah read First and Second Kings.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, this ain't the first radio is it no it's not <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting too because like I feel like we talk about that a lot like where is our country going you know all this stuff and I think to myself y'all this isn't the first time this has happened I'm not saying it's okay but I mean just read right. the dang Bible it's been right. happening forever and ever and ever these splitting and everybody wanting power and being tempted by all these things this is a never ending cycle Right. You know, it's not new news to me.
1: Right. And, and it's and it's again, it's easy for us to want to project that on some other celebrity mm-hmm. uh, and not kind of own it at, at, the core, at ourselves, at, at the core level. And uh, and I'm not trying to make these books out to be individualistic um, uh, in their primary motive motivation. That that's not what they're about. But I think <clears throat> that is a helpful way. Always for us to read in the same way that Martin Luther in the Middle Ages said, you know, it's speaking to you. <laughs> what, what is it? How is it speaking to me uh, in this time and in this place? Um, but, uh, yeah, one, one of the things I stumbled across this morning earlier reading through there is where, you know, God uses this uh, phrase and says, I will wipe you like a dish. You know, and um, I thought, well, that's a pretty sick burn. You would think that would have been written in 2019 or something, right? But you know, um, but there's an anger and a frustration. Obviously, the writer is trying to convey uh, metaphorically um, there. But uh, yeah. yeah, how does this? Yeah, how do we? How do we take stock of that? And then I think the other thing I would say is this: part of the loving kindness of God, and in Maybe the central part of it is defined not by how you feel or how, you know, if it gives you butterflies and makes you, you you know, it's not about that. It's about unswerving loyalty. In some ways, we would benefit perhaps if we would substitute the word loyalty for love. in in, in some of our uh, translating and thinking about things. And so the Hebrew chesed, I'm probably not saying that quite right, but that idea that thick and thin doesn't matter, unswerving, cut straight to the heart loyalty. That's what covenant is about, right? And so um, I'm hopeful for that on God's end. And then I can ask myself during Lent or any other time, where, when I search my own heart, do I find that kind of loyalty? And how can I, and how can I get in touch with that and and nurture that? Because I think loyalty is something that has to be nurtured and developed. It's it's not just a one and done kind of deal. Uh, it takes strength. It takes courage. It takes time. It takes practice.
0: Oh, uh, Furman, what a beautiful like. Th- hope to bring out of these sort of really hard stories that we like to concentrate on. Um, and the the covenant is so such about loyalty. And I love that thought. There's your name for the podcast, Alan, you know, um, what if we substituted that word loyalty for love and how we, and I interrupted you, Alan, what were you going to say?
2: No, I was just gonna, you know, you're talking about practicing firm and like I think about that there's, um, An author I like, Kurt Thompson, he uses the phrase that in Christian community, we're practicing for heaven because we're choosing to stay in relationship with one another. Right. And so loyalty, you said it's not once and done. We don't sign on the dotted line and then it's easy. Every day we have to wake up and decide to be loyal. Right. Right. And and loyalty, you think about, you know, our culture, the way we look at love is kind of bastardized, right? because it's Hallmark and it's whatever. And so we lose that notion, right? Like sometimes the most loving thing we can do with another person is have a hard phone call where we talk things out. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to hang up the phone and we're not going to feel very loving with one another, but something is growing within us because we're building that loyalty. My kids, sometimes the most loving thing I can do is to enforce loyalty through like, you are a part of the family. That means there's consequences. It right. doesn't feel good. I don't feel happy clappy when I do that, but that's the loving thing. And so if that's how we relate, sometimes maybe that's how God relates, is it's not right. just God has rainbows and butterflies.
1: I, I think so much about, of the writing about the wrath of God or anger of God is, uh, is, is, is writing about what the mama bear does. Mm. Mama bear will do anything for her cubs, anything. To anybody, anytime, anywhere. Think about the wrath, the fury, the furious loyalty at the core, and it makes much more sense out of anger uh, in, 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 in the in the scriptures. It makes a whole lot more sense. God will do anything, right?
0: Well, and I I think that. Is what we always try to convey, like at the end, you know, is that God loves you. Um, We do too, but most importantly, God does love you. But I think that fierceness and that loyalty of how much God loves us and how much God will do to protect us, how much God will become a mama bear cannot be overstated enough. And that's why. We have the scriptures to keep this alive, not only for the people that it happened in those time periods, but for us, as you so beautifully said. So thank you, Furman, so much for your wisdom and who you are and the way you love God's people. And listeners, as we always say, we love you, but most importantly, God does.